Welcome to One Giant Podcast. Along with Andy Makowitz, I'm Adam Marbrecht, coming to you each and every week, breaking down all things New York football giants. And as we look back to what happened in our previous week, Andy, this feels a lot like one of those where were you when kind of moments for New York Giants fans. Do you have anything that comes to mind when you think about those special moments as Giants fans when something that made you jump up out of your seat and yell at the TV screen possibly? It was October 16th, 2016. I remember it vividly. And Adam, (laughs) the reason why I remember it vividly is because it was my wife's bridal shower a couple weeks before my wedding. And I remember showing up. Uh, late in the third quarter, Giants versus Ravens, I believe it was week six, and I handed over the flowers. I got the proverbial awe from the crowd, and after saying hi to everyone, I snuck into the bar area, and you know it was late in the fourth quarter. There's under two minutes to go, and this happened. Now it comes down to fourth and one. Fourth and one. What you're going to get is either a run or a quick slam. Manning calls out the signals. Takes the snap. Back to throw. Zips it over the middle. Caught by O'Dell. He's racing across midfield. He's to the 40. Breaks left to the 30. He's to the 20. 15. 10. 5. Touchdown Giants. 66 yards. Oh, baby, is he good. Wow. 222 yards by Odell Beckham Jr., the second most in a single game in Giants history. The slant pass gave the Giants the win. Back to the net, which is the holy grail. Odell, what was going on with the net today? What was the message you were sending? Well, you know, we're, our relationship's growing. Um, <laughs> I thought we, you know, we might as well make it serious. I proposed. She said yes. So, you know, me, and, me and the net are going to get married sometime soon. Hopefully it all works out. I'm 23. I don't know much about marriage. Okay, listen, and I I can I do recall that time as well in, when when Odell had not only the big play but also got romantic. So there's a nice tie in there for you because it was a romantic time in your life, not only personally but also from a football fan perspective. So I'm glad that you tied that in there. I don't know if I should throw shade or not towards you, given that it was the bridal shower. Seems like you should have been focused on on the future misses, but. That's neither here nor there. Let's go ahead and dive into what made us jump up and shout this past week as New York football Giants fans. One giant debut. So this is where we're going to get going on this, obviously. We saw the rumors. We heard it could happen. Daniel Jones is named the starting quarterback for the Giants, as we talked about last week. And he makes a a heck of a debut. They end up uh, stealing one late in a 32-31 victory on a missed field goal down the stretch there from the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. But all eyes were on Daniel Jones in this one. What did you see from him? What got you excited? And and certainly this has to have overtaken the OBJ proposal to the kicking net for you. For any diehard Giant fan out there, you couldn't have asked for anything more. Daniel Jones, Danny Dimes really delivered. You know, he went 23 of 36 for 336 and two touchdowns in the air. He also ran for two. Like I said before, that fourth and five play where Daniel Jones takes it up the middle, uh, I got goosebumps at him. You know, he looked like 
the real deal. And if you're a Giant fan, you got to be very excited about the future. Yeah, and listen, we mentioned this last week when you talked when we talked about what is the difference that you're going to see from Daniel Jones. We tried to look at what could happen in this game against the Buccaneers after an 0-2 start for the Giants. And I think it's that mobility, right? How that impacts the game. Obviously, you see what ends up being the game-winning touchdown. The, the, the field is wide open for you, but if you don't have the legs to get there, defenders are still going to be able to close on you. And we saw in a couple points throughout this game where Daniel Jones was able to either move inside the pocket and buy himself a little bit of extra time, and then also roll outside of the pocket and make some pretty impressive throws downfield to not just his number one or, or number two. You know, he was spreading the ball around as well in this one, though there were some focal points. What did you see in terms of that aspect of the game, getting the ball to his key receivers? Well, I think, you know, I have to give you credit where credit's due. You know, on our last podcast, we talked about Daniel Jones' mobility. I, I said that he was slightly more mobile than Eli, and I was dead wrong. He was extremely athletic during the game, and he extended the play. You know, the, the offensive line looked very much the same. They looked very um, mediocre in this game, but Daniel Jones' mm-hmm. athleticism you know, being able, that one throw to Darius Slayton, moving the pocket to the left and having the poise to be able to wait and hold on to the ball until until Slayton was able to get open deep down the field. You know, he, and and I think you said it said it best. He spread it out. It wasn't just to to one wide receiver. I mean, we can go into it a little bit more, but my goodness, Evan Ingram, Sterling Shepard, really uh, performed well. When you think about it, both over a hundred yards, both with the touchdown. You know, I know a lot of people say that Evan Ingram is a tight end, but when you saw him take that to the house, if you turned it on halfway through and you didn't know who Evan Ingram was, you would have sworn he was a wide receiver, right? Yeah, and listen, in terms of moving on from from certain players, and obviously OBJ was moved on from in the offseason, this is kind of, I think, how the Giants had to envision being able to still offer speed on the field. Because, not that he's OBJ, but when he caught that pass, he was able to shake free of a tackle get around to the sideline, and then it was pure speed. And there was nobody was catching Evan Ingram as he went, da- as he went down there. So you, you really did see what I think the Giants always envisioned en- Evan Ingram being. And again, maybe there's this quarterback change, that level of excitement that, that really kind of sparked everybody, and all of a sudden you're seeing some of those plays that you, that you hope he can build and grow off where he gets the ball in space and utilizes that wide receiver speed at the tight end position. Now, the... The interesting thing, or I'll say the acknowledgement that I have to make as well, if I'm going to have you shower me in praise about Daniel Jones, I have to then say Sterling Shepard looked like a legit number one in this game. And I, you were bringing him up several times last week, and I was not dismissive of him because I do like Shepard, but I definitely looked at it as you're going to need everybody to make this thing happen. Now, that's true about the Giants overall, but when you looked at what he was able to accomplish, you know, Going seven for a hundred with a touchdown catch, running the crisp routes, getting enough separation so that Daniel Jones could put the ball on him. That that touchdown pass that he has to the right side of the end zone, where Shepard just controls his body, slides down to make that grab, knows he's got the touchdown with ease. I mean, I saw a lot of confidence from him in this game. Go ahead and gloat a little bit on that prediction from yourself. I, I think the words you used were "you're banging on that Sterling Shepard drum again, aren't you?" And yeah, pump, pump. yeah and, I, and I think, you know, he proved out exactly, you know, the type of receiver that I thought he was coming into the season. He 
certainly uh, doesn't have the explosiveness of, of someone like Odell, but you could tell with some of the routes that he ran, uh, it really provided a little bit more separation. You know, crisp route running and, and being able to get open and Daniel Jones laying uh, that touchdown pass in the corner of the end zone over double coverage uh, to only where Sterling Shepard could have grabbed it. You know, having him on the outside w- was a huge change of pace from, from guys like Benny Fowler and uh, Cody Latimer uh, the previous couple of weeks. So I walked away very excited about the receiving core. Now, if we move over to the, the rushing attack, you know, there are significant challenges with, with all the good that the Giants did on offense there was the bad. You know, Saquon had about eight rushes for 10 yards uh, before he came down with what they're calling a high ankle sprain. We'll get into that a little bit later, but it's got to be a little concerning when your leading rusher is Daniel Jones with 28 yards, right, Adam? Yeah, you know, as excited as you are to see Daniel Jones use his legs, you know, it's interesting. I was, I was just talking about Ingram, and this popped into my head. I remember in the first couple of seasons for Evan Ingram where a lot of times the concern you had with him was the way he was using his body after the catch. And oftentimes it was where he was getting the ball, right? All of a sudden you had a linebacker, safety, getting in on him. He, he's had a concussion once already in his career. He's had a couple of little nagging injuries, and it's always about wanting to keep your guys healthy. What you saw early in this game, and you mentioned it, offensive line, they played okay. But you saw Nate Soldier really struggling, and where that really was seen as a high impact was Barkley was getting hit, and I mean hard. Every time that he was trying to hit that crease and you know get through the second level, it was a lineman plus a linebacker, the safety coming down with him. And even though the injury is definitely a, a bit of one of those just freak plays where he's almost too athletic for his own good because he almost gets away from it, he was taking a pounding early in this one, and you definitely were seeing defenses keying in on him. I mean, it makes it impressive that we won the game, but there was nothing to write home about when you talk about this rushing attack. Yeah, I mean, even after Saquon got hurt, you know, Wayne Gallman isn't half the player Saquon Barkley is, but he was bottled up for 5 for 13 yards. And uh, even more telling was, you know, Daniel Jones was the leading rusher. Sterling Shepard was our second leading rusher with, with 21 yards. So uh, it, it didn't really look too good on the rushing side, but... Daniel Jones covered up a lot of those issues. Now, I will say there was some issues with security and ball control for Daniel Jones. I think he had uh, three fumbles, and, you know, I I think him trying to extend plays and and first time out there as a rookie, you know, that's part of the learning curve. Um, But hopefully he's going to be able to clean that up moving forward. Uh, But overall, I'm pretty happy with the offense. I mean, put up 32 points. We've been averaging 15 and a half points a game. Uh, What's your overall takeaway from the offense? Yeah, more positive than negatives for sure. I mean, listen, coming into the season, you want the theory was we've quote unquote fixed the offensive line, and you know by and large we have, right? You brought in Zeitler, you have Remmers. Uh, actually, oh boy, I wanted to remember where they have uh, Hernandez currently ranked for the guard, and they and uh, between the two of them, we actually have one of the best tandem guards statistically in the league. So a lot of things have been improved. You know, Nate Soldier is who he is. He's a veteran presence. He's going to struggle at times against some of the better players. But on the whole, listen, when you're down, what was it, 28 to 10 at halftime, and you come back and win a game, you obviously have to be doing something well offensively. And nice little transition here. You also have to be at least doing something positive defensively. Now, when we look at the stat lines overall, you know, Tampa Bay put up 500 total yards. 
Jameis Winston, in spite of the fact that he gives a gift to Connolly in that interception, had 23 of 37, three touchdowns. Jones and Barber combined 27 for 128. And Mike Evans goes off in the first half alone, had seven catches, ends up finishing eight for 190 and a touchdown. From a defensive perspective, what are your takeaways given the totality of the game, right? Because it didn't look so so shiny in the first half. But again, same thing like offensively, you have to be doing something right in the second half if you hold your opponent to three points. It felt like playing whack-a-mole. Last week and the, the week before, you know, we harped on the defensive line and the linebacking core not getting enough pressure. And, you know, that was uh, accented by... Janoris Jenkins coming out and saying, I can't guard an NFL wide receiver for 10 seconds. Well, mm-hmm. Janoris, uh, it looks like you can't guard Mike Evans for any amount of seconds because when he puts up 190 yards and three touchdowns, eight catches, uh, you know, he was having his way with Janoris. And that was a big challenge. I mean, you got a 5'10 cornerback against a 6'5 wide receiver who I think is still a top 5'7 wide receiver in the league. I think he, he gets over uh, overlooked more than, than some of the other big-name guys. But, uh, you know, what was your takeaway on on the cornerback play, you know, Janoris Jenkins or DeAndre Baker? Yeah, and we talked about it last week with the rookie learning curve for a guy like DeAndre Baker. Obviously, at times, he's going to struggle, and those are growing pains. Now, you know, week to week, I think maybe the defense is going to look to protect some of their younger players and put them in positive matchups. But from a Jenkins standpoint, I, I think you're right, first of all. Mike Evans is a guy that I think doesn't get as much recognition as he should, given the level of talent that he has and the level of consistency that he's shown early in his career. But, you know, we talked about how the Giants come away with the win. When you talk about looking at the final drive of the game where Tampa Bay ends up missing the field goal, Jameis Winston hits Mike Evans on a bomb on a bomb play. It's his only reception of the second half, and Janoris Jenkins is seen trailing. Now, you can say it is Mike Evans and he's talented, but ultimately, you don't jam him at the line. He's not a speed receiver, so you should be able to stick with him. So, you know, it's... <laughs> I feel I feel more positive about Baker in this game. Yet I also look over and say the veteran guy that we want to say we see consistency from. There's just not doesn't look like Jenkins is necessarily the same guy that he was last year, and we could have an issue long term when it comes up to some of the bigger matchups uh, down against some of these teams down the road. Right? You know, DeAndre Baker against Chris Godwin. Godwin has looked like. Uh, one of the better wide receivers in the first couple of weeks of the season. You know, he's been a fantasy darling. Uh, everyone I talk to basically says, mm-hmm. oh, I, I drafted Chris Godwin. Look at how smart I am. Um, but I think... I drafted Chris Godwin. Look at how smart I am, Andy. Interesting. Yeah, that sounds about <laughs> right. Um, you know, so Jameis Winston was able to get the ball down the field. Obviously, you know, he gave that one mistake to Conley. He, he is the gift that keeps on giving with turnovers, but... You know, we finally got pressure. Uh, you know, we had four sacks in the game. We finally forced a turnover for the first time this season on the defensive end with that interception of Winston. Um, you know, we gave up uh, something like 135 yards on the ground, which which wasn't great. Um, but overall, it was bend, don't break, give the offense an opportunity to come back in the second half. And, you know, games like this, sometimes you have to get lucky. And 
We certainly did uh, on that missed field goal. But Adam, on that missed field goal, Bruce Arians came back and said he actually wanted the delay of game penalty so that he could move his kicker back five yards to have a better chance to kick. Literally, that's the first time I've ever heard any coach say they want to be further away for a field goal. Yeah, obviously he had struggled earlier in the game with extra points. Uh, we're, we're talking about the defensive side of the ball as well, where Dexter Lawrence actually came up with an extra point block in this. So <laughs> few, I, I, I'd be hard-pressed to think of a time, like you said, when a coach comes out and goes, I wish it had been a 40-yarder instead of basically the extra point setup because clearly this rookie kicker had it in his, he- in his head going up for that kick. And oddly enough, this isn't really a secret. Tampa Bay Buccaneers have gone through eight kickers in eight seasons. So they've always had struggles like this, right? I remember last year, I think it was the kid Gonzalez that they had tried out, and he just struggled, and he tried to get behind these guys. So I didn't necessarily have any optimism that he was going to miss that kick because, again, it is a chip shot, and it almost feels like the errors that you have earlier in the game, you clean that up for the one big kick, and Tampa Bay charges the field. But instead, we see Saquon Barkley hobbling out on on his crutches to join the team in celebration. So listen, you know, you can have bad breaks and, and good ones, and this was a good break for the Giants, and, and you got to just take it and and, and celebrate the positives that you had in it because th- these are things that happen in the NFL, right? It's that, that cliche of any given Sunday. Yeah, and I think the easiest way to sum it up is, you know, the Giants offense gave us hope in Daniel Jones' debut. I think – you know, putting up over 30 points, leading the team down on what could have could have been and ended up being the game-winning drive. Um, the defense was a bit concerning, but I think overall we would have had, even if the field goal goes through for the Buccaneers, we would have had a positive feeling about Daniel Jones at the most important position on the field. You know, we just happened to get lucky, get a win out of it, and you know, breathe some life into the team as we as we head into Washington. Yeah, for sure. And we're going to touch a little bit more on some defensive players that we liked from, from the Bucks game, looking ahead to what they can do against Washington. But you're 100% right. It's the debut of Daniel Jones, and it's just affirmation that taking him sixth overall makes total sense. It's the, uh, as, as Pat Shermer would like to say, quite frankly, it was an example that we were proven right. This is the quarterback for our team, and we can be excited about the future ahead for him. One giant update. So, after all the positivity that we get from this Tampa Bay Buccaneers game, Danny Dimes looking like a genius. There was, of course, the bad news, and that's that Barkley goes down early in this one. It ends up being, as you said before, high ankle sprain. What more do you know about this, or what more does the league basically know about the injury for Saquon? Yeah, I think they that initially a lot of Giant fans were worried watching the game. Was it, was it a knee injury? Was it an ankle injury? Couldn't really tell. You know, they had him in the walking boot as he was jumping around after the missed field goal. But uh, he had some tests done. He got uh, the initial MRI done. And Adam Schefter was reporting, uh, it looks like it is it is a high ankle sprain. It's going to be four to eight weeks. Um, Adam Schefter said the team thought it was a little bit more on the serious side. So more in that six to eight week range. But they were sending Saquon for a second opinion. Uh, he just got that. And they reconfirmed everything that the first diagnosis said. Uh, so everyone feels strongly that, you know, he could be back in a month, could could be up to eight weeks. Um, but Adam, what, is, what do you think that means for the team? Obviously, it's a it's a big blow. But how do you see the team reacting? 
And you've already heard some things out there about possible players that they're going to look to bring in because right now, from a depth chart perspective, you're incredibly thin at the running back position. Listen, I do like Wayne Gallman, and I'm not going to look at what he did in the Bucks game and say that that's what you can expect from him, that he's going to struggle consistently. I think that he can do some positive things for this for this offense. He obviously isn't Saquon Barkley. So, you know, it's going to be about getting creative with it. I, the interesting thing for me probably is that this does give Daniel Jones an opportunity to grow without what you would say is the you know best player on the team. So I think it will be nice to see how they probably flex their offensive passing muscles and also get a little bit more creative utilizing Wayne Gallman, utilizing Penny from the fullback position, and then maybe, depending on who possibly gets brought in, to fill out that depth there for them and see how they can create balance offensively. Yeah, and and I think you just nailed it with Wayne Gallman and Penny as the only two uh, backs on the entire roster. Obviously, we're going to be looking to uh, bring someone in from the outside. I think the latest reports are that we were pulling uh, someone up from our practice squad, but they were still looking for a longer-term solution. You know, I heard names like C.J. Anderson and Jay Ajayi, you know, not names that really inspire uh, anyone uh, particularly. Is there any other names that you were hearing uh, over the wire that might be a good fit? Yeah, and it is thin, right? I mean, for the most part, when you talk about, uh, you know, when you're talking about the running back free agency market. If you're good, you're most likely on a team already, or if you're at least, you know, someone who's considered that has some legs left in him. So not a lot of tread on these tires. I believe the guy that they're calling up will be Hilleman. He's a rookie that that we've had that we had on our roster. He was there throughout preseason, gets signed to the practice squad, which I think is a positive because again, you're giving a young guy an opportunity. One of the other other names I think I heard out there was Fozzie Whitaker, which would be another Carolina Panthers alum. And, you know, I, I've got some positive energy about that fella. I can see Bob Papa just screaming, Fozzie Wazzie was a bear, bursting up the middle for a 15-yard scamper. I think that gets you excited, right? Uh, well, it's better than Wayne Gallman up the middle for negative two yards, I'll tell yeah. you that. Uh, <laughs> but, but, but I mean, it, I mean, you know, Dave Gettleman trying to create Carolina North. I, I, just, I just hope if someone like Fozzie... Whitaker comes in that it's not another reach like it was uh, Jonathan Stewart, who was probably about two years past his prime when he came in last year. For sure. But listen, ultimately, it's going to be about, I think, scheme and how you utilize the players that you have, even currently on the roster, regardless of who else you may be bringing in from the outside. One giant matchup. Week four is just around the corner here, and that means a divisional matchup at home for the New York football giants against the Washington Redskins. So coming in, obviously, we've improved ourselves to 1-2. and two. Washington is now 0-3 on the season. And when you look at the stat lines across the board, we got our offense 7th ranked. We're 31st in defense, going up against the 22nd ranked offense for Washington, 26th ranked defense. And then the fun little fact here is we're actually both point differential at minus 31. Andy, what are you, what are you seeing as we look ahead to the matchup against the division foe? Well, the scariest part of all those stats is we're a short field goal away from the Tampa Bay Bucks to be 0-3 and have a worse point differential than the Redskins. Yeah. Which which for, for their 0-3 means that they're about the same level of team that we are right now. I mean, you look at the defensive stats, you know, the Giants ranked 31st. You know, both teams are giving up over 30 points a game. Uh, certainly not going to win many games when, you, when your defense is struggling that much, but... 
you know, the Bear, uh, the Redskins are coming off a loss against the Bears on Monday Night Football, where Case Keenum uh, was very friendly to the Bears' defense, <laughs> uh, to say the least. You know, three interceptions, two fumbles, and a partridge in a pear tree. So, um, what did what are your takeaways from the Redskins' offense so far? Yeah, Keenum's the gift that keeps on giving, right? I I think as we pull in from last week. The things that you saw from some of the players, you know, I actually mentioned it, I think, on last week's podcast when we were reviewing the Bills game. There's some of these players that had come in that you expected more from, Marcus Golden being one of them. And he actually showed up against the Bucks, and he showed how that speed, getting around that edge and getting after the quarterback, can be a really useful weapon for this defense and hopefully helping the secondary as they try to match up against, you know, weapons on any opposing offense. So, you know... I'm not scared of really anything that's going on on the other side there. You can go into some of the injuries and the lack of players. I'll, I'll mention the fact that they don't have their starting tight end, Jordan Reed. And this is a guy who I personally have always been a fan of, but always seems to struggle with injuries and staying healthy. So that's one weapon off of there. At the, in the running game, what do we not have to necessarily be as scared of there? Yeah, I mean, Adrian Peterson uh, against the Bears, uh, 12 of for 37, averaging just about three yards to carry. I mean, for as much as I loved him during his time with the Vikings, he looks pretty done. And, you know, the the glaring miss for, for the rushing offenses, Darius Geis being out yet again, you know, was was on the IR last year uh, with a knee injury. Uh, on the IR uh, again this year, or at least out for an extended period of time, you know, Leaving Case Keenum back there by himself with no uh, rushing game makes them very one-dimensional. And if our pass rush, which showed a little bit of promise uh, against the Buccaneers, can start getting some pressure, uh, we may be able to force some some turnovers. Now, we're certainly not the Chicago Bear defense and don't have a player like Khalil Mack uh, bearing down on Case Keenum. But uh, overall, I, I, I'm, I'm excited about this. Uh, you know, the, the one-dimensional piece of it, Case Keenum did throw for 330, and the receiving core looked pretty good. Uh, Adam, what, what are you thinking about, uh, you know, Terry McLaurin, Paul Richardson, and uh, the wide receivers? Yeah, and so again, I, th- I think McLaurin is really the guy who's shown a, a, a consistency throughout the start of the season, right? He's up over, I think, 257 yards. He scored a touchdown every single week, so and I think he's had 16 catches for the year as well. So, you know, he's showing a level of consistency, obviously has developed a rapport with Case Keenum. Overall, there are weapons there. So, and again, any team in the NFL, for the most part, is going to have the ability to score points. But I think on the heels of you saying, with Darius Geis not being in the game, you know, it's one of those benefits and maybe the thing that we may struggle with, right? Being one-dimensional to some extent. Now, the difference for us is I think that defensively, if we don't have to worry about explosive plays through the run game, Betcher should be able to get creative in how we utilize our linebacking core and how we try to cover these wide receiver weapons. Because if I look across the, the defensive line at BJ Hill and Dexter Lawrence, you know, even saw uh, McIntosh got in there for a minute late in the game against the, the Buccaneers as well. So that, that rotation is definitely happening there. Tomlinson as well. If those guys up front can control Adrian Peterson, a past his prime Adrian P- Peterson, then all of a sudden the secondary should have the benefit of less to worry about coming down to the box to assist, easier to control things over the top, and not necessarily breakaway speed weapons on the Redskins side 
you know, and again, it's going to come down to can Janoris Jenkins match up, whether it's on McLaurin or whoever they put him against. Can Baker show level of consistency this week like he did last week? So, you know, there's always going to be variables for us in this game, but this is the kind of matchup, you know, I said it, when a team is ranked that low offensively and defensively, when they're 0-3, when they're not starting their rookie quarterback, it looks like this is one of those games where the Giants should be able to have a bit of confidence and swagger coming into it. And I don't know if, like you said, they're not going to do what the Chicago Bears did, but the defense should be able to do some damage against Case Keenum in this offense. I think, uh, you know, to the rookie quarterback point, I heard uh, an interesting comment earlier from Washington Redskins head coach Jay Gruden. Uh, you know, being 0-3 and, and, and uh, having some struggles at the quarterback position with five turnovers, they asked him about, uh, when it was going to be Dwayne Haskins' time. And he came back and basically said, Dwayne Haskins isn't going to play until the season is lost, which I don't know if that's an indictment on Dwayne Haskins or if that just shows a vote of confidence for Case Keenum. I, I, I wanted to get your thoughts on that. Yeah, that's a tricky one, right? Because at 0-3, everyone knows, statistically speaking, you are, for all intents and purposes, out of playoff contention, and the season is over for you. So... You know, there's probably no better time to get your rookie quarterback experience, but those comments make it sound like there's, and this isn't a knock on, on Dwayne Haskins, quarterbacks take time to develop. It's not that every, you know, every quarterback starts immediately their rookie year, even though that has been the trend. You know, there clearly must be concerns that they have, whether it's digesting the playbook or decision-making in-game, that they want to kind of protect him against maybe having a rough starting road where you have to build back up his confidence, uh, you know, and this isn't, this isn't me puffing my chest out as a Giants fan either, but there was a lot of the chatter during the draft about, oh, the Giants should have been taking Dwayne Haskins and everything that got said negatively about Daniel Jones. But again, I think a lot of that was about Daniel Jones, you know, intelligence, his ability to, to digest the playbook quickly and be ready to play early in his career. Whereas Dwayne Haskins may just need that season to sit on the bench, be in the room behind Case Keenum, learning this playbook. And at the very least, you know, Gruden sounds a little bit silly saying until the season is, you know, lost. I think there's nothing wrong with coming out and saying we're bringing along Haskins and we're just not ready to make that move at this point. Yeah. And it's even more telling case Keenum showed up at practice in a walking boot and (laughs) which is, which is not a good sign for what he was saying, but conveniently uh, Colt McCoy is coming back from uh, I think it was a fractured leg. Um, So they're basically doing everything in their power to make sure that Dwayne Haskins can't start. Um, which I find fascinating given 0-3 start, as you said, and uh, the season looking to be lost, especially uh, in this kind of do-or-die game. I think if they go 0-4, it's really time to start thinking about next season for, for the Redskins. Uh, on the other side of the ball, uh, you know, their, their defense, I think you said, was ranked 26th. Uh, they haven't really been able to stop anyone, much like the Giants. They've, they've been giving up over 30 a game. Uh, is there anything noteworthy on the defensive side of the ball for the Redskins that you wanted to touch on? Well, I mean, listen, obviously this is going to be the homecoming game for Landon Collins, who we, you know, we drafted and had the beginning of his career with us. So I'm sure he's going to be playing with a chip on his shoulder. It has been interesting to see just from, from afar, you know, when you have players on your team, you maybe look at them a certain way. And then when they move on, 
it, all of a sudden maybe you don't you didn't realize what they were good at or where their deficiencies necessarily were because you can see that between Landon Collins and then a guy that they that the Redskins also brought in a couple of seasons ago in Josh uh, Norman it doesn't mean that they're not talented but collectively that defense doesn't seem to be able to get the job done and we have our own struggles as well I'll be interested to see how Collins plays down in the box against our run game, given that we are going to be kind of piecing this thing together. And then from a receiving standpoint, you know, is Norman going to be on Shepard? Are they going to flex him against Ingram at some point along the way to try to take our speed away from us? But for me personally, when I look at when I look at this defense and then I look at what our weapons were able to do this last week against the Bucks, I expect a big game from, from our offensive weapons. I think Shepard's going to have those consistent numbers that you always expect from him, you know, that six, seven catch push towards a hundred yards. I think Ingram can go off on this team. Cause if you remember Landon Collins, where did he struggle when he was a giant? It was against opposing tight ends, athletic opposing tight ends, getting beat down the middle when he had to come down into the box and then turn and run back up field. So this could be a big get off game for, for Evan Ingram. And then we mentioned him earlier, Darius Slayton, you know, went three for 82 in the uh, matchup against the Bucks, he has speed as well. I expect him to stretch the field. I mean, you know, this isn't, I don't want to be too overconfident, but I could, I could see some big stat lines from this receiving core for the Giants. Yeah, I think the, you touched on both Landon Collins and Josh Norman. You know, the one thing that they have in common is they both hate Dave Gettleman. They both hate him <laughs> with a passion. It's uh, true. Yep. You know, he, he basically jettisoned both of them, uh, you know, Norman from the Panthers and, and Landon Collins uh, from the Giants last year. So I wonder if there's a little bit of extra motivation for them, you know, homecoming for, for Landon and Josh Norman, uh, you know, has, has nothing but terrible things to say about Gettleman. So I look to those uh, two just to see if they have that little extra burst or, um, extra chip on their shoulder. Uh, but yeah, you're right. I'm, I'm expecting after what we saw from Daniel Jones in the wide receiving core last game, um, I'm expecting them to be able to, to stretch the field. Darius Slayton looks like a, a good bet to do that. And uh, I, I have some optimism going into, going into this weekend. Yeah. And I guess, listen, where does that lead us, right? We've talked about all the X's and O's. We talked about the big players. It's prediction time. One giant prediction. So obviously we are in the prediction time of the podcast, but before we get there, Andy, hit me with the hit me with the lines on this one. What are the people saying about this upcoming matchup? Yeah, so Vegas has the Giants as a three-point favorite. Uh, the line hasn't actually moved that much since Daniel Jones was announced a starter, which uh, was a little surprising to me. I thought maybe after the performance that uh, you know by the Giants and by the Redskins on Monday night that maybe we'd see that creep up to three and a half or four point favorites but right now it's a field goal um, it looks like it's probably going to stay pretty close to that uh, and for the over under um, surprisingly uh, it opened it looks like at 46 and a half last week and as of this podcast, we're up to 49 and a half. That's a, a three-point swing on the over-under. And, you know, what I think is causing that is, obviously, Daniel Jones looked amazing in his debut. The Giants' offense looked way more explosive than they did before. Couple that with the Redskin defense being pretty mm -hmm. hapless. And that's Vegas basically saying that they're concerned that, you know, those two factors are, are really going to come in and there's going to be a lot of points on the board. What are your, 
What are your thoughts on on the three points and the forty nine and a half on the over? Yeah, so it's weird, a little bit weird to me because I think the three points would make sense because as we talked about, right, we're one and two, they're zero and three. We're one missed field goal away from being, you know, a combined 0-6 matchup here. So there's obviously a reason why these teams are relatively close in the action. But like you said, coming off of where Daniel Jones has that kind of performance, you know, this offense put up 21 points or 22 points rather in the second half of the game against a, a respectable Bucks defense. So I'm a little surprised at the over under because I would think that in tandem it would have to be if you're going to say 49 and a half. Which is, I mean, you know, you're talking about being in the range of a 28-21 a kind of game, you know, 28-24 or you know, 26, whatever. That, that kind of pocket of numbers. But I also would think that this is an opportunity where the Giants can explode against the Redskins' defense and maybe hold them a little bit lower. So I, I would almost expect the, the, the line to be a little bit higher in favor of the Giants just because of where the, the Redskins rank, both offensively and defensively. Um, and then again, over under wise, maybe I would expect it to be higher, but it seems like maybe they're they're walking on two two sides of the fence here. Well, I, I think it's noteworthy in case uh, we don't have uh, very many avid betters down there. For an over under line to move three points, that's an enormous amount of points. Uh, usually, some betting action will will shade it a half a point here or there, um, but Vegas is usually pretty spot on uh, right out of the gate. So. They're saying, you know, the Giants defense giving up 30 a game, the Redskins defense giving up 30 a game, and Daniel Jones giving life to the Giant offense. They're seeing a lot more action uh, push that line up. So that's uh, that's pretty much what I have uh, in terms of the, the betting odds. You know, if we go into a little bit on the fantasy side, uh, Adam, is there anyone that you're pointing to to say that's an absolute start in this game? Well, listen, we, talk, we mentioned it earlier briefly in the Tampa Bay review where I'm a guy that got Godwin. I saw I saw the twinkle in that young receiver's eye and knew this was going to be a breakout season for him. I'm also the kind of guy that drafted Daniel Jones in his fantasy league and, and took some blows because the expectation was you might not see him until week seven or eight. But guess what, friends? You combine him with my drafting of Sterling Shepard, and if you were lucky enough to pull it off like I did— you had him sitting on your bench this past week, and you, you left about 50, 60 points out there. With So I'm a genius on one hand. I'm an idiot on the other. But from a fantasy perspective, anybody, for the most part, any of these leagues, Daniel Jones is 100% available. So I'm sure people were scampering to pick him up. I think he's a great play this week. Are you seeing anybody out there for yourself that, that you're hoping to grab or you think people should be taking a flyer on? Yeah, I think a lot of people had Sterling Shepard um, banging on that drum again, Adam. I think a lot of people had him uh, either on their bench. I think he was only 60% owned in, in a lot of leagues. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he's a must-start now as that security blanket, him and Evan, Evan Ingram for, for Daniel Jones. I, I think, uh, you know, we talked about Terry McLaurin before for the Redskins. I think, as you can see, Vegas moving the line up and up. They do think there's going to be points, and it's not just going to be by one team. So, I look to him as a guy that is is ripe for you know somewhere in the six catch ninety yard and a touchdown range as well. He's looked uh, to be the part of a of a at least a wide receiver two, if not a wide receiver one, moving forward. Uh, just on that team, um, you know, the only other person that I'll say in in daily fantasy sports, if if any of you uh, out there do that as well, I'd say look to Darius Slayton as one of the the low ticket, low cost flyers that you could take. Uh, 
you know, Daniel Jones showed that he can stretch the field and, and extend plays. And I look to a guy like Slayton to be able to maybe get down behind the defense and, and put up a big touchdown at some point. Yeah. And you know what? And honestly, I, we also mentioned this earlier in the matchup portion, you know, no Jordan Reed, the, the ever fountain of youth seeking Vernon Davis is the tight end for the Washington Redskins. Listen, I know that he's not a flashy player. He did have a, a big game a couple of weeks ago. And given the Giants' defense and where they can struggle at times against opposing tight ends, that might be the same kind of thing. In a daily fantasy, he could be a guy you take a flyer on as well because I think you could see him put up, if not you know big numbers or a touchdown in the game, he can still probably get that four or five catches for 60-plus yards on this one in a hopefully, from a Giants standpoint, dump-off scenario for Case Keenum where he's just trying to get a couple chunks of yards. So those, those are the, the tips and tidbits for your fantasy perspective from myself and Andy. And now we get into the, the meat and potatoes of it all prediction time, my friend. Uh, now coming off of last week, we are now both sitting at two and one records on the overall season. I got that big victory came up a little bit short in terms of point totals, but you obviously were a, a doubter, a hater, a dismisser of Daniel Jones. Where do you stand now in this matchup against the Washington Redskins? I'll admit it took me a little bit. I kind of felt the same way that you did by putting Daniel Jones on your bench. I kind of said I need to see something before I can really you know, uh, anoint him the, the next great giant quarterback. But if there was ever a perfect scenario for him to walk into, a lot of confidence off a win, playing a, a terrible defense in Washington at home. Uh, I'm starting to come around, Adam, on being that typical New York Giant fan. And maybe... Talk yourself into it, buddy. I'm slowly walking myself down the plank. And, you know, as, as I get closer and closer to the edge, uh, I'm jumping in. I'm jumping in. At, well, from what I saw from Daniel Jones, I, I, I'm a believer right now. Uh, my prediction Woo. on the game Sunday is 31-21 New York Giants, I think. It is going to be a high-scoring affair. I think both defenses uh, are, are going to kind of look the same way they've looked over the first couple of weeks, and it'll be a little bit of a shootout with uh, hopefully the Giant offense making a couple more plays than, than the Redskin offense. So that's where I'm at, Adam. Talk to me. Listen, that, it makes sense, right? You're, you're coming off of a game where they're playing a respectable defense. They find a way to win. A lot of action in that second half from Daniel Jones. And like you said, it's affirmation. You know, last week when we talked about it, I was going hopeful and optimistic. I wanted to see Daniel Jones play well. I wanted to see the offense be dynamic. And up until that second half, I was staring down the barrel of a very embarrassing prediction uh, com coming into the game. Luckily, things worked out not only for the Giants, but for myself as well. I I'm right in line with you on this one. I think that it's a bad defense the Giants are going up against. Even with a little bit of a depleted running back group, I think the Giants and Daniel Jones are going to move this ball. They're going to flex those receiver muscles. So I'm going to go even a little bit bolder than you on this one. I'm going to think that the defense actually actually really gets after Case Keenum at times here. I'm going to go 31-17, Giants victory. This is a confidence builder for the Giants. Get themselves to 2-2. Two and two. I mean, listen, if at the start of the season you said you could be 500 through four weeks of the season, every Giants fan would sign on for that and... With some tough games ahead, this is that get-right kind of week for the Giants. So hoping for big things from the Giants' offense and a little bit of spice from that defense. One giant outro. So 
as I find myself sitting in Bali, we haven't even explained to the fan base that we were lucky enough to be nose to nose on the fir- on the first one of our podcasts. Now, um, twelve hours ahead of you, I'm a day ahead of you. You're a day behind me. I'm in the future, my friend. But as we tie a bow on this particular podcast, the one thing that we want to send out to the fans is that we want to hear from you. Let us know if you if you think we're making sense when we talk about where the offense can go, if the defense can continue to grow on some of the positivity we saw against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. We're dying to hear from you. If we like what you're talking about, you may even get a live play on one of our upcoming episodes as well. So definitely head over to anchor.fm. We are also streaming on Spotify currently, and that seems to be where a lot of our listeners are heading to check us out. We will be getting onto all the major platforms. It's just a slow rollout process when it comes to getting our feed going. So definitely keep an eye out for us. We'll keep you updated. Andy, where else can people find us? We're on Instagram. Uh, we have onegiantpodcast.com. We've got Twitter. Uh, feel free to leave any messaging that you want there. Ask away all these different questions. It's it's good uh, talking points and conversation pieces uh, for upcoming podcasts. So with that said, we've got the Redskins coming up this weekend at home. Let's get one giant victory and let's go Big Blue. You know it, my man. I can tell by the beads of sweat rolling down my back. It's time to get out of here. We will catch up with everyone next week. Fingers crossed following a giant victory. This has been One Giant Podcast. 